I'd like to switch gears a little bit. And um, you know how it goes. God kind of gives you something, and then um, you just kind of marinate on it for a while, and then you just kind of add to it, and, and here we are. And this is one of those things that, that was kind of birthed out of another thought that God gave. And, and so now we're probably going to have a couple weeks here at least um, on, this, on this idea that there's more to the story. There's always more to the story. And there's always more to your story. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be out of Luke chapter 22. If you don't have your Bibles, I'll give you enough time to open up your Bible app. Shoot, I'll even give you enough time to go to iTunes, download a Bible app, get it on your electronic device, and then find out where Luke 22 is. Um, so we, we've all had those moments in our life, right, that you wish you could take back, either a failure, something embarrassing. Why did I say that? And looking back on you, you're like, why in the world, why did I say that? Why would I have ever done that? Whether it hurt somebody else or it embarrassed yourself or caused pain, I don't know. I just, we all have moments in our life that we'd like to forget. Hurts and failures and disappointments and defeats, and we wish that we could like take those all back. As my wife says, kind of try and get the toothpaste back in the tube but it just doesn't work. So what do you do with that? All right, what if something happened to you that you wish you could forget? What if you were the victim? What if you weren't the perpetrator? What if you were not the one inflicting the harm? What if you're the one receiving it? What if you're the one that's just in the middle of it and can't get out of it? What do you do with that? The whole premise of this morning is there's more to your story than that. Peter, one of my favorite Bible characters, because it's not like I want to necessarily become like that, and it's not that it's necessarily like my personality, but he's such an interesting person to follow in Scripture. He was one of the first disciples called by Jesus, if you remember, cleaning the nets. After a hard day of fishing and Jesus performs a miracle and Peter begins to follow him and there's just this impetuousness about Peter that just puts a smile on my face when I read him. He, you know, he had all these awkward moments when he would say something and then you can just kind of picture like the room going quiet and little crickets chirping, right? When, when Peter just blurts something out and then everybody's like, I wonder what Jesus is going to say about that. But it's just he said what was on his mind. We all have friends like that, don't we? Friends that make things awkward. You're like, no, well, then you're probably that friend. (laughs) Because you don't realize how awkward you make everybody else's life. (laughs) Luke chapter 22. this This is an incredibly defining moment in the life of Peter. So to kind of set the stage here a little bit, to kind of give you some setting and how to, how to couch all of this, we're in the upper room now with the disciples. And for, for days now, Christ has had this heaviness about knowing what's going to happen, and he's going to be betrayed today, and he's, he's going to be tried, and he's going to be crucified, and he knows what's coming. And so he gathers all of his friends, the disciples in the upper room, and now they've, they're taking what we, just, what we just did, the Lord's Supper, 
nothing like that exactly, but it was the Lord's Supper. They were celebrating Passover together. And in this conversation, Jesus looks at Peter and he says this in verse 31 of Luke chapter 22. He says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you. And in the King James, that word is desired. He desired to have you. And it's interesting that, that the word you right there in that first sentence is repeated twice in the Greek. So it's like, it's like Jesus is, is when he says, Simon, Simon, Satan has desire, desired to have all of you, talking about the disciples. But then from that point on, this verse and the next, the you that's used is singular. So initially he says, Simon, Satan has demanded to have you, all of the people in this room. And then he looks at Simon directly and says that he might sift you like wheat. And I've, I've read that verse so many times and never thought about what sifting meant. I always kind of thought it meant like, like, you know, he wants to put you through the ringer. And that may be part of it. But the idea here is he wants to take everything away from you that means anything to you. You know, when you sift things, you know, everything just kind of falls out and you're left with just a few pieces of something. Man, have you ever been there in life that you feel like I'm just, I'm just not what I was? Everything in my life is different than it was before, and I'm just, I feel sifted. That's what Jesus is saying. And Jesus knew the one thing that Satan wanted to sift away from him and sift out of him was his faith. And he says, Satan, he wants to sift you. He wants your faith to fail. Now, God can allow Satan to sift a lot of things out of your life, but your faith doesn't have to go. Like your faith doesn't have to fall through the screen. And I know that's what he's talking because the very next verse, Jesus says this, and what an incredible statement of Jesus, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. So in the back of the mind of Christ, he was saying, you're going to go through something, and there's a chance you're going to lose faith. But I've prayed for you that you don't lose faith. And he says this, <laughs> listen to Christ's optimism. And when you have turned again, when you've returned. So Christ said, you're going to go through something that's going to feel like the bottom dropped out of your life. You're going you're to feel like you've lost everything, and I don't want you to lose faith. In fact, I'm praying for you that your faith won't fail. And when you recover, and when you return, I want you to strengthen your brothers. So here's the strengthened will become the strengthener after the sifting. I feel like, and, and, I, and I, can't, I can't, but I feel like, like Peter probably missed that portion of what Peter was saying because Peter's still probably back here where Christ was saying that Satan has demanded to sift him Knowing that, and then Jesus praying for that, what are you talking, I'm not going to lose faith, right? So, so he goes on and he says this, he said, Peter said to him, 
Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. I don't know what you're talking about, but I am not going to lose faith. That is not on my agenda. There is no, I have so much faith in you. There is no way I could lose faith. Don't say that. We can all be there. Because here's the thing. Peter didn't know what Peter didn't know. Right? So like Peter's like, this has been three years of my life I have invested in following Christ, and I love him, and I, I believe that, that, that this is, this is going to be the eternal kingdom of God that's going to happen on this earth. And he had all of these plans, and he, I mean, again, so many awkward moments in his life with Jesus because he was ready for all this to happen right now. And here Jesus is saying that there's a possibility that I'm going to lose my faith. Peter, you don't know what you don't know parentheses, and you don't know enough about somebody else to know why they're going through what they went through either. Because you're making judgments on other people based on how you think you would respond. But maybe that's not the button that would be pushed in your life to cause you to lose faith, but there's something. There's something. And I truly believe that Peter believed that. Like, there's no way. And Jesus said unto him, Verse 34, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny me three times. What? That was just so out of Peter's mind. So then that scene kind of comes to a close. They wrap things up in the upper room. They go to the Garden of Gethsemane where you read about Jesus praying to his father, if there's any way that this cup could pass from me, I don't want to have to go through this. If there's another way, if there's another way to redeem your people, please, let's do that. And it doesn't happen. And, and of course, then the betrayer comes. Judas comes and gives him the, the kiss on the cheek. And that, that was the identification that the Roman soldiers knew, uh, or the, uh, the, the soldiers knew to, to arrest this man. And so Jesus is arrested. And we pick up here in verse 54 of Luke 22. And they're in the high priest's house now. Then they seized him and led him away. That's Jesus bringing him into the high priest's house, and Peter was following at a distance. The King James says, afar off. Like he was still kind of hanging there. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Now, I don't know what was going on in his mind. I mean, how's Jesus going to get out of this one, right? Previously, he's always kind of like slipped through the crowd. Nobody could find him. They went to go arrest him, and he just was able to slip away because his time was not yet. Now he's been arrested, and, 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 the, and the, the, so far, this has been a weird evening, okay? We've taken this Passover that felt very different. There was like this, this ominous cloud to all of it. He's predicting all of these things. And then he said, I'm going to fail him. I mean, where, I, mean I, I can't imagine what Peter's mind is thinking right now, what he's going through, what he's trying to process. And, and you know how you kind of get, even though you might be around other people, you're kind of in your own self, like you're in your own crowd. You're not really paying attention. And then there was this moment. This horrible moment in his life. 
that I would just guess that if he could look back on it, it would be the moment he would like to forget because he fails the Lord. And it kind of takes me today's big idea. And that is that, that life is a movie, not a snapshot. Right? So if you look at Peter's life as a snapshot of what's about to happen, you're going to be like, really? This is the great apostle Peter? Yeah. This is a horrible moment in his life. This is a moment he'd like to forget, but I want you to remember it's only a snapshot of his life. Verse 56 says this, Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, can you just, like, she's like, and Peter's like in his own head. I don't know if he notices her or whatever, but she's like looking at him. Trying to figure, am I, you've done that before. Like, is that, and then you don't want to feel weird and awkward. Is that, she says this, this man also was with him. I don't know what happened in his heart. He panicked, but he denied it saying, woman, I do not know him. And that was it. That's all it took, a servant girl, connecting him with Jesus Christ. In that moment of fear was all it took for him to to deny Jesus Christ. He did not know that was even possible. He didn't even know it was in him to do that. And he did it, and he denied Jesus. Verse 58, and a little later, someone else saw him and said, you also are one of them. But Peter said, man, I am not. A little bit stronger. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you're talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord, the saddest verse in Scripture, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Do you feel that? And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and he wept bitterly. I don't know how you recover from that. We are witnessing the worst moment in Peter's life. His faith had failed as Jesus had predicted. Now, I don't know what your moment is. I don't know what your moment was. Or I don't know what your moment's going to be. But we all have those moments, folks. And so, we're going to talk about how to move on from messy moments. I'm just going to give you four things and we're done. So, how do we move on from that snapshot, from those messy moments. And again, please hear me. It may not even be something that you had done. It might be something that had done, been done to you. But how do you move on from this? Let me just give you a couple ideas here. First of all, this moment in your life is only a moment. And aren't you glad? It's only a moment. It's real. 
It happened. It hurt. It had an effect on somebody else. I get it. It really did happen, but it was just a moment in your life. And let me tell you this. It doesn't tell the whole story of who you are. It's just a moment. Moment of weakness, moment of failure. But that doesn't tell the story of who you really are. There was more to Peter's life before this moment, and there's so much more to Peter's life after this moment. And there is more to your life than that moment. I was talking to Todd this week, and he knows a lot more about this stuff than I do. But he said that with digital movies or recordings, there are 30 frames that your eye sees in one second. 30 still frames in one second of digital videography. So you have 30 frames in one second. And I don't know how long that moment lasted in your life, but it wasn't a whole movie, folks. It was like a freeze frame. Have you ever seen those like, like awkward moments like they show pictures on Facebook every now and then and somebody thinks they look cool dancing and then you take a photo and they're like... You know, but it looked much cooler. Like if you watch the whole thing, you know, they really got moved and you like freeze it. And they're like, you know, it's just, that's that moment. Like that moment is not as cool as you really are. You're much cooler than that. And that moment that happened to you was just a moment in time. Next thing I want to point out here is that what you have done, or for that matter, what's been done to you does not have to define you. I don't know what happened, and I don't know why it happened, but whatever that is, whatever it was, and why ever it was, doesn't have to become your identity. You don't have to be defined by the tragedy that happened in your life, whatever it was. Whether it was your fault, somebody else's fault, regardless of the ripple effects of all of that, that moment in your life does not have to define who you are or how you become. It doesn't have to appear in every conversation. It doesn't have to be the reason for everything wrong that happens in your life from that point on. You can have something horrible happen in your life and that not be what defines you for the rest of your life. You might have been surprised by your lack of faith or your capacity to fail or even the words that came out of your mouth. But Jesus wasn't surprised at all, was he? Like he knew what was about to happen to Peter. Think about this now for a second. Jesus knew that Peter was going to deny him even before it happened. All right, all right. Jesus knew Peter was going to deny him when he called Peter to follow him. Hey, there's hope for us, folks. All right, this will blow your brain. Jesus knew Judas was going to betray him when Jesus called Judas to follow him. How are we doing? Does Jesus know all about our troubles? Does he know all of our weaknesses? And does he love us anyway? Does he have a plan for us? Absolutely he does. Satan would love to bind us with the ropes of condemnation and discouragement 
But Jesus came to set us free. And that does not have to be who you are. You don't have to live your life negatively impacted by this moment forever. You are not what you have done. You are who God says you are. And Jesus says this. Well, okay, credit where credit's due. Paul said this. Jesus says everything in the Bible, right? 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, (laughs) he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. That's who Jesus says you are. Next thing is this, and this is a little bit harder to swallow, I admit it, but your moments are a part of your story. So We can't get away from it. It happened. They don't have to define you. It was just a moment in your life, but they do become a part of the story that you tell. These moments, God has the ability to use them in your story in a way that you never imagined. They become woven into the storyline of who you are. There have been a lot of hurts and a lot of disappointments in our lives. We had a lot of fertility issues, infertility issues. And God walked through us with all of that disappointment. And to be honest with you, it's not, it's not what we wanted. It's not the plan that we had. And, and, and if we had to do it all over again, if we had made a, um, if we were able to, to influence any of that, we, we would have had as many kids as God would let us have. And God gave us Whitney and God gave us Kimber, and we are so thrilled for that. And it's probably all we could have handled anyway. But it's like, we understand It's part of our story. It's part of what we've been through. And I don't understand it like my wife understands it. But I know that every month that goes by and you're not pregnant, it's like a death. Five years of that, of tears every single month, and going through that and the grieving process. And you understand if you know what I mean. I mean, it's just like you get that if you have been through that. But that's part of our story. I had wonderful dreams of my mom and dad moving to Virginia with us and living right next door to us, and we were so excited because I followed God's will, and I moved away from home, and I never, try, I never looked back again. And my kids spent 12, 15 years of their life away from my mom and dad and seeing them once in a while, maybe once a year, and now they're going to move right behind us and live right next to us. And my mom and dad, we're going to be a part of my kids' life. They're going to watch them graduate and get married and, and be over at their house, and my mom was going to teach them how to can because Lord knows my wife doesn't know how to can much, a little, anyway, and all of these wonderful things that we were excited about, and then, and then my dad gets cancer and dies, and we're crushed, and it wasn't fair, and I remember crying with him about the stuff that he's going to miss out on with my girls, because he loved my girls like nobody loved my girls. So then my mom moves in with us while we build our house to live next door, right? And we're all excited, and then she gets cancer. 
And just a few short weeks later, she dies. What the heck? I still don't agree with God. I don't know why. I know he knows why. And that's what I have to be okay with for right now. But I had great parents, people. Like, there's a lot of really crappy people out there God could have taken. Right? There's a lot of really bad people that are horrible grandparents that God could have taken to heaven or the other place. He didn't have to take my mom and dad. And they loved Jesus. I mean, they made me. How awesome must they be, right? But I don't get it. But that's part of my story. So, hey, I understand. And I hate cancer. I get it. I know what that feels like. I know what it feels like to be part of a toxic church. That when you leave there, you can't ever talk to anybody else. And I know the damage that they can do to teenagers and young people who see God so differently because of the way that they were raised in church. But God has used that in my life in a powerful way to be able to help other people and make sure that we're not that, right? So that becomes part of your story. So those moments in your life, whatever the stories are that you want to tell, whatever the hurt is, whatever the failure is, those moments really happen. And they don't have to define you, but they do become a part of your story. So the question is, how are we going to use that? Like, what's God going to do with that? Who is God going to help and what kind of character is it going to develop inside of you? And God has the ability to weave those moments into your story. Which takes me to the last point here, and that is, let your story bring him glory. And here's the exciting thing. Like whatever it is you've been through, there is a way for God to get glory out of that. And that moment in your life that makes no sense to you, that moment in your life that was incredibly painful, it doesn't have to define you, but it will change you. Why we get that? It's going gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna to affect your life. It's going to affect your relationship. It's going to affect how you feel about people. But Jesus says to Peter, when it's all over, when you return, I want you to strengthen your brothers. So here's what happens. Jesus dies and he's buried. It's all over. So what does Peter do? Peter goes back to fishing. Hang this Jesus stuff. That didn't work. It's a wild ride for three years, but I guess it's over. So he's, he's, he's on his boat. Literally, he's on the Sea of Galilee, on his boat. Can you imagine what was going through his mind? Like the last time I was on this boat? <sighs> the last time I was on this boat, Jesus told me to put my nets over here. We couldn't even haul them in. And they're never going to be like that again. And all this. And then I denied him. I mean, what was I thinking? He's on the boat, and then he sees someone out on the shore. (laughs) And Jesus was coming to him. 
and he was on the shore. And the one that he denied was coming after him. And Jesus makes up a fire and starts to cook some fish. And the man that had failed the Lord was invited back into relationship with him. Jesus is not done with your story. Folks, there is still ink in the pen. There is a lot more to your story than that moment that you've used to define you for too many years. And I don't know what it is God's going to do with it. But whatever it is, he has the ability to get the glory from it. And I bet, I mean, you know, the funny thing is that the, the Bible says that, that Peter was out on the boat and he was naked. Now, I don't know what naked means to him. And I don't know if that was like a cultural thing back then. And he's out there on a boat. And when he sees Jesus, he literally jumps into water. He jumped overboard. I really don't know how we got to land. I don't know if they pulled him back on the boat or he swam or whatever, but he ends up back sitting around the fire with Jesus. And this isn't even in your notes, but I came up with this later. Jesus was ready to forgive. He was eager to restore, and he was able to repair the damage that had been done. How beautiful is that? I should have waited to preach that next week. He was ready to forgive. He was eager to restore, and he was able to repair. Because here's the thing. Here's what Jesus had done. Like, like here's, where, here's where Peter was staying, and Jesus had already done this right here. Jesus had already turned the page. All right, Peter. Now, here's what's going to happen from here on out. Remember that thing I told you about strengthening your brethren? That's where that all starts to happen. Jesus had already turned the page. He'd already forgiven Peter. After this moment, you may remember some of the highlights of Peter's life. He preached Pentecost, right? Not bad. 3,000 people came to Christ, believed in him, got baptized. That's a pretty good start, right? Beats fishing, preaches Pentecost, 3,000 people get saved. There was a moment where there was a man who had been lame from birth, could not walk. Jesus, uh, Peter healed him, and he went up leaping and praising God. There was a young girl who was dead as a doornail. And he was able to bring her back to life. He's in prison for preaching the gospel. And God sends an angel to set him free. The stories of Peter's life after that moment were much greater than the stories before. And that moment of failure in his life did not define who Peter was. That tragedy didn't define him, and it doesn't define you either. And I don't know what God has for you from here on out, but whatever it is can bring him glory. There is so much more to do. There is so much more to your story than that moment. There is always more to the story. Paul said this to the church at Philippi. He said this in chapter 3, verse 13. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. I'm not there yet. But this one thing I do, I forget the things which are behind. And I reach forth unto those things which are before. That's where I'm heading. Turn the page, folks. Own it. It happened. I'm not saying to forget about it. 
I'm not saying pretend it didn't happen. But just realize that there's more to your story than that. Let's pray. Father, we don't know what all you've got going on in our lives. And I don't know what all folks have been through. But Father, I truly believe that you can get the glory for whatever it is that's happening in our lives. And help us, help us to turn the page. Help us to look up. Help us to see you and help us to keep going in our relationship with you. And help us to make much out of the life that you've given to us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.